Welcome to Fatal Fortunes, a podcast about people, places, and misfortunate events. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to season three of Fatal Fortunes. We are so happy that you could be here with us. I don't know, we're going to do some new things this season. Instead of, you know, just fatal people, we're going to do fatal events. Uh, I think we're getting a little bit more obscure. I think the season's going to be a wee bit shorter as well, because, of course, I have to take the bar exam in yeah. February. Dun, dun, dun. But we're so happy hey, for you guys to be that's here. still four and a half good months, probably, of content that we'll be putting out. Yep. Four and a half good months. Um, you know, 77 more days left of law school. So we can't wait. Um, We are not going to continue, I think, having the website. So if you hear me in past episodes, say check out the show notes. There are not show notes anymore because I've noticed that the show kind of has even done better without having a website at all. You can still, of course, contact us at fatalfortunes at gmail.com anytime with anything. Any suggestion, any comment, concern? Questions, comments, limitations. Yeah, summertime. How was your summer, Nathan? It was a good summer. I mean, I worked a lot, um, but at the end of it, I took a road trip from Boston to El Paso, and that was an event. I've seen parts of the country I'd never seen before, like drove all the way through Arkansas. Never, ever went to Arkansas before then. but Never imagined was... you would, huh? Yeah. Oh, also that. Yeah. Never thought I'd even get there, but... There's another one checked off the list. What about you? I taught Nathan how to put a duvet cover on this summer. Yeah, mm, I still don't get it. And I also, on that trip, learned how to fish for the first time, like, successfully. So that was, yeah, that was was fun. But also development. Now, Nathan and I, neither of us live in Boston. So all of those things, we were calling them, you know, hometown stories. I guess they're not anymore. No. Do not live there anymore. And of course, I'm at school in Dartmouth, and right now I'm in Keene at our Airbnb with all the books. But we do have some fun Massachusetts tales to bring to you this season. So a couple of things to look forward to is we're doing a murder at Harvard University, one of the biggest nightclub fires ever that took place in ye old city of Boston. Um, What else do we have down the pipeline, Nathan? Were we gonna do Lizzie Borden, or did we decide not to? I'm so sick of Lizzie Borden. Yeah, I think that was the consensus, that it's been discussed. So I don't have any, I don't think, Massachusetts fatal fortunes this season, personally. And another thing that we are doing this season that's different is we are each going to write our own episodes. As you know from the previous seasons, we usually write the episodes together. But now, one of us is just going to tell a story to the other. And I am excited about that. So Nathan is going to take our season three opener away with the story of Eartha Kitt. Bombshell for the ages. Before we get into this episode, I do want to um, say that there is a content warning of uh, sexual assault being discussed. It is very brief. It does not go into detail. But um, I understand if you want to move on to another episode. um, Because this is about... Eartha May Kitt, but before we get into her life, we should probably figure out what's going on in the year of her birth, 1927. We've got the Harlem Globetrotters playing their first game 
in Hingley, Illinois. Have you ever seen the Globetrotters, Al? No. What do they do? I I'm, They're would fun. assume that they, they like, trot. They do. I, I they think they do a fair bit of trotting, but they are like internationally. The, they do it all over the place because they um, they combine athleticism, theater, and comedy. Yeah. So they're like, they're they're so funny, um, and they're very talented with a basketball. So they do fun tricks with those. So they just started in 1927. In that same year, oh, their hundredth year anniversary is coming up soon. That's true. And MGM hundred year anniversary was created in 1927. Metropolis, the General, Wings, and the Jazz Singer premiere. The first, I like most of those like, movies. Yeah, first talking picture is not one of those ones we like. Yeah, that's why um, I said most of those movies. No, I know it. I know it. <laughs> uh, you had me till you said the jazz singer. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it is. It, I mean, it is kind of historical because it's using sound and it's like yeah. 1927. 1927. Finally, the U.S. Canada they open diplomatic relations with each other. We've got uh, we weren't some not speaking so... to Canada. I guess, like I remember in my horrible U.S. history class in high school, learning about isolationism and how mm-hmm. that was like our whole big thing for like a long time. And I don't think that I feel we've ever gotten out of that. But that's besides the point. We got some not so diplomatic relations happening between communists and Nazis in Berlin. Some bloody battles going oh, on in 1927. True. true. Um, in that same year, 1927, we've got Supreme Court's Buck First Bell, which permits forced sterilizations in states where surgeries are practiced for eugenic reasons. Gross. We've got the first balloon flight in the same state the Globetrotters started in, Illinois. Uh, first solo flight by not such a great guy uh, across the Atlantic occurs. I actually um, found his biography in this house, and well, I was like, ah! Yeah, that's wild. I remember watching a movie uh, that Jimmy Stewart was in, where he plays whatever the hell that guy's name is. I think it's Lindenberg. You know his name. It's Lin- Lindenberg, or what? Lindbergh. Lin- it is Lindbergh? Okay. Lindbergh, yeah. I didn't know. You, it's name. like you put Lindbergh and Hindenburg together. I think I did do that. Here's a, I do have a Massachusetts reference. I lied. The Ritz Hotel opens in Boston in 1927. Another kind of whatever thing, at least for me. The Holland Tunnel opens. What a nightmare. That's important. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Not a lot of deaths happened this year of famous people. I'm sure a lot of people died, but... Famous people, the founder of Girl Scouts, Juliet Gordon-Lowe. Ah, Lizzie Borden. <laughs> wow. I was saying I wasn't going to talk about Massachusetts, and here we are. I guess she's really here with us in spirit. Yeah. And marriages in 1927. We have Dr. Seuss got uh, married, and Ernest Hemingway also got married. But Charlie Chaplin got divorced. So that's what is going on in 1927. For love, um, and speaking of love, the babies that were born, Stan Getz, great guitar player, Kenneth Anger, Sidney Poitier, Harry Belafonte, oh, R.I.P. Coretic Scott King, Jerry Stiller, Janet Lee, Althea Gibson, Roger Moore, Steve Ditko, and of course, our fatal fortune, Eartha Kitt. So, Eartha May Kitt 
was born on a cotton plantation on January 17, 1927, near the small town of North, ironically named North is the town's name, in South Carolina. <laughs> Wait, that's kind of really funny. I know. When I wrote I'm it, I was North like, I'm South going Carolina. to have a stroke when I read this. <laughs> it's the town of North South Carolina. Her mother, Annie May, was of African and Cherokee descent, while her father was most likely a white doctor named Daniel. Daniel raped Eartha's mother and is reported to have been the son of the person who owned the plantation. When Eartha's mother tried to live with an African man, Eartha faced colorism from a very young age. Because of this, she was then moved to her Aunt Rosa's, where Eartha would still face abuse. Annie Mae died very early in Eartha's life, although it is not known when. And yeah, I mean, they do not have a lot of family history known from what I can find. Um, like I said, they don't really know who the dad is, although they're pretty sure it's the son. Like I said, we did not know when Annie Mae passed away. After this, Eartha would move in with another relative, Mamie Kit, who some believe may have been her actual biological mother. This is now in Harlem, and here she attends the Metropolitan Vocational High School, and this is where she's starting to train in singing, acting, and dancing. Kit's career began in 1943, where she was a member of the Catherine Dunham Company. This troupe was the first African-American dance group, and she remained with this troupe for five years. Kit then went on to record hit songs like Let's Do It, Monotonous, Love for Sale, Under the Bridges of Paris, and of course her most famous record, Santa Baby. Santa Baby was released in 1953, and she is a star immediately. And after years of performing in Europe, she became fluent in French, and is also thought to have learned German and Dutch from her stepfather. So she could speak four languages, she could sing in 11, and needless to say, a multilingual... Sing in 11? Multi- right? I mean, it's fascinating because I have this one record of Nat King Cole, who mm-hmm. is singing in Spanish and understanding none of it. He's just saying the sounds, um, and you're probably It's like when given, Justin Bieber like, does Despacito. <laughs> Exactly. It's like when I was in choir singing Latin. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm saying, but I know how to say it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know the language, but I can sing it. And she can sing, yes, 11 languages. Multilingual, multi-talented icon. Diana Ross is noted as drawing huge inspiration from Eartha's look and her sound when Ross was in the Supremes. I see that. Just three years before Santa Baby, Kit was noticed by Orson Welles, who gave her the first big acting gig as Helen of Troy. Two years later, she was cast in New Faces of 1952, which was a musical review where she performed the hit Monotonous for the first time. Throughout the rest of the 50s and 60s, she worked on television, film, and nightclubs, while also returning to the stage for Mrs. Patterson, which ran 1954 to 1957, Shinbone Alley in 1957, and Jolly's Progress in 1959. In 1964, Kit helped open the Circle Star Theater in San Carlos, California. And then in 1967, when Julie Newmar quit her role as Catwoman, it was Eartha Kit that took the claws in the original Batman series. She was 
loved for that role. My parents were talking about how they would watch reruns of Eartha Kitt as Catwoman. And I feel um, like they also compare every single Catwoman to Eartha Kitt. Right, yes, because she just was so, like, menacing, but also beautiful. My goodness, the she was, like, the perfect Catwoman. If only she did more animated Batman series as that character, because I think her voice, especially we'll go into later, is, is amazing as that character specifically. Um, she also had a guest role as a contortionist, in an early Mission Impossible episode that same year, 1967. But now we have to go into some drama with the White House incident, as it's called. Oh, snap. This is one year later, in 1968. Eartha Kitt is invited to the White House. During the luncheon, First Lady, Lady Bird, inquires about the war in Vietnam. This was the beginning of the end of Eartha's time in the center stage. Also, before I go into it, I do want to say that during this whole luncheon, Eartha hardly got a word in. This question about Vietnam was asked towards the end of the meeting. So... Wait, so Eartha (laughs) asked it to Lady Bird? No, Lady Bird asked it to Eartha. um, As is reported... What does she know about the damn Vietnam War? She has opinions, like everyone. And I think her opinions are right on the money. Because she says this. The children of America are not rebelling for no reason. They're not hippies for no reason at all. We don't have what we have on Sunset Boulevard for no reason. They are rebelling against something. There are so many things burning the people of this country, particularly mothers. They feel they are going to raise sons, and I know what it's like, and you have children of your own, Mrs. Johnson. We raise children and send them to war. After that comment was made, this apparently sent Miss Johnson over the edge and into tears. After the incident, um, she was not given a ride back. They did give her a car to the White House, but she had to find her own way home. um, Because she, you know, rightfully so, was was making a stand against the war in Vietnam. It's like, what do you mean? What do I think about the war in Vietnam? Yeah, like, aren't you happy it's happening? No, of course not. Why, why would you think that any... But apparently, as I said, she didn't get a whole word in, and the rest of the mostly white people, very heavy on the mostly, um, were, were very pro-war and pro-Lady Bird, obviously, so they weren't going to say anything about it, and Eartha took a stand, and unfortunately, uh, because of this stand, the CIA branded her a sadistic nymphomaniac, and um, this was done in the press, um, and they they practically tried to, like, destroy her career because of this one comment. And seven years later, there was an investigative journalist, Seymour Hirsch, and he found a dossier uh, which contained comments about Kit's sex life and family history, along with negative opinions of her that were held by former colleagues, to which Kit responded, I don't understand what this is about. I think it's disgusting. And I agree with that. That is just so petty of the CIA to do. As all the things they do, but good lord. They they do this. Does the CIA do anything useful? No. This comment did not come from nowhere. Eartha was not unfamiliar with activism, as she had been active in social causes all throughout the fifties and sixties. 
1966, she established the Kittsville Youth Foundation for Underprivileged Youth in Watts. She also was involved in a group in D.C. called Rebels with a Cause. That's, that's fun. Uh, she supported all groups looking to clean up their communities and establish recreation areas, which, hell yeah, let's get some more recreation areas. Being back home is nice, but there is nothing to do without spending money. She testified before the House General Subcommittee on Education, stating, Achievements and accomplishments should certainly make the adult do-gooders realize that these young men and women have performed in one short year with limited finances that which was not achieved by the same people who might object to turning over some of the duties of planning, rehabilitation, and prevention of juvenile delinquents and juvenile delinquency to those who understand it and are living it. The rebels could act as a model for all urban areas throughout the United States with similar problems. So she is, she's trying to make big changes here, um, really doing some great community work. But as I said, that White House incident... Do you incident... think that the CIA is monitoring, like, Meg the Stallion or something? Like, she's if, the equivalent of that back then. If Meg the Stallion is trying to, like not buy into I just want to make money and get as rich no, as possible. She just got her public health degree. She's trying to make public health better in Texas. That ain't yeah. easy. If if she is if if she is genuinely working for the community, absolutely. I don't see why not. It seems why like they're they always just... monitoring. Leave hot girls alone. So the White House incident um did not uh tip the CIA off about her. They knew what Earth Kit was doing well before she said this stuff about Vietnam. They had been monitoring her since 1956. Her speaking out against the Vietnam War and going into detail about its connection to poverty and racial unrest was a bold move. And when the dossier was published in 1975, she said, I have nothing to be afraid of and I have nothing to hide. Because she's always been out in the open about what she stands for. I admire that about her. Kit's also a huge advocate in LGBT movements, stating at one event, I support it, gay marriage, because we're asking for the same thing. If I have a partner and something happens to me, I want that partner to enjoy the benefits of what we have reaped together. It's a civil rights thing, isn't it? And the crowd goes wild, I imagine. She goes on in an interview decades later in 1992, saying, we're all rejected people. We all know what it is to be refused. We know what it is to be oppressed, depressed, and then accused. And I am very much cognizant of that feeling. Nothing in the world is more painful than rejection. I am a rejected, oppressed person, and so I understand them as best as I can, even though I am a heterosexual. That's, that's Eartha Kitt on gay rights. Eartha Kitt says gay rights. She's like the so, OG Lady Gaga. She, yeah, oh my god. The, and as I said, like, the outfits that she wore, not only as Catwoman, but just, you know, in all of the movies and all of the singing and just in her day-to-day life. Yeah, you're, you're, I think uh, Gaga took, took some inspiration from her, like Diana Ross maybe did. After the White House incident, Kit left the country and focused more on Europe and Asia to perform. She was shown several times in BBC's The Good Old Days and starred at the Shaftesbury Theatre's production of Follies. 
She did eventually perform in America again, making a triumphant return to New York in the Broadway show Timbuktu, for which she was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical. She has been the Wicked Witch in the late 90s production of Wizard of Oz, Fairy oh, Godmother, that. That so right, right. All of these, all of these characters I'm about to, to name and all these movies are, yeah. I, I wish I had been there to see them. Uh, her as the Fairy Godmother for Cinderella in late 2000, and many other shows, including Nine, The Wild Party, and Mimi Leduc. Kit used her voice quite a lot, and this spilled over into voiceover work, notably the commercial for Steely Dan's album Asia has a narration by Kit. So that, that was pretty cool to watch. That, that's a fun um, ad if you get a chance to look it up on YouTube. She was in a radio performance of The Jungle Book as Ka, also... What a, what a great voice for that character. And she doesn't just do Ka in another production of uh, a Disney remake, a live-action rendition. She voices Bagheera. Probably at least what I knew her as before writing this episode. To me, her most iconic role is Yzma in The Emperor's New Groove, for which she like won. imprinted her on everyone in our generation's mind. Yes, like, print. like, you can just hear her say, Kronk, pull the lever. <laughs> like, it's such a good performance. She's hilarious. Um, and that character is just so despicable, which is so funny because Eartha Kitt is the most lovely person. Um, and she really plays that character well. And that's not the only time that she played her. Uh, Yzma was reprised in Kronk's New Groove and The Emperor's New School that uh, the latter she won two daytime Emmys for. Her original performance as Yzma also won her uh, her first Annie Award. What is an Annie Award? An Annie Award is an uh, award specifically for animation. She was also a guest on My Life as a Teenage Robot and The Simpsons. The last live-action role that I remember her best for is her portrayal as Madame Zeroni in the movie Holes. But she also made annual appearances at the New York cabaret scene, and just two months before her death, she performed at the Cheltenham Jazz Festival, which was recorded, and you can watch that performance. Um, as I said, I could not find a lot on Eartha's personal life. Um, it is somewhat quiet. She married John William MacDonald, who was a real estate associate in 1960, and with him... Um, she had her only child, Kit McDonald, and Kit was born in 1961, but Eartha and John divorced four years later, and she lived in Connecticut most of her life. So now we get to a very sad day in Christmas, Christmas Day, 2008, just three weeks before her 82nd birthday, Eartha Kit died of colon cancer. Kit McDonald states... I was with her when she died. She left this world literally screaming at the top of her lungs. I was with her constantly. She lived not even three miles from my house. We were together practically every day. She was home for the last few weeks when the doctor told us there was nothing they could do anymore. Up until the last two days, she was still moving around. The doctor told us she will leave very quickly and her body will just start to shut down. But when she left, she left the world with a bang. She left it how she lived it. 
She screamed her way out of here, literally. I truly believe her survival instincts were so part of her DNA that she was not going to go quietly or willingly. It was just the two of us hanging out during the last days. She was very funny. We didn't have to talk because I always knew how she felt about me. I was the love of her life. So the last part of her life, we didn't have to have these heart-to-heart talks. She started to see people that weren't there. She thought I could see them too, but of course I couldn't. I would make fun of her, like, I'm going to go in the other room, and you stay here and talk to your friends. With a career spanning decades, Eartha Kitt is survived by her daughter, Kit Shapiro, who very recently wrote a book called Eartha and Kit, A Daughter's Love Story in Black and White. When asked the best piece of advice her mother gave her, Kit said this, Never take yourself too seriously. Having a sense of humor is one of the greatest gifts that she gave to me. The ability to laugh, and it's not easy, and this year especially has not been an easy one to find humor in, but to try to find the humor in every moment is what my mother was all about. And that was in 2020, and you can find that book um, online, in stores, and that is Eartha Kitt, um, an actor, singer, dancer, mother, wonderful woman, activist, Pioneer. Pioneer, yes. You know, I'm just comparing her story a little bit to Dorothy Dandridge, and I feel like this is a little bit happier than Dorothy's. Mm. Yeah. That's the thing. Even though she got, like, hit a lot by the CIA, no less, I don't think that stopped her from living a very full and happy life. Um, And, (laughs) I mean, as as terrifying as her screaming in her deathbed yeah. must be. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that she she had a, a very, very good life. That sounds like the worst Christmas I've ever heard of. Well, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Fatal Fortunes. I hope you've enjoyed. I hope this inspires you to go check out some of the movies that Eartha Kitt was in, learn more about her life and legacy, and we will catch you next time. Because remember, on Tuesdays, We talk ghosts. Bye. Bye.